Um, well, good morning, Water's Edge. My name is Missy Bell, and it is so good uh, to be with you here on another Sunday morning. Um, I am the programs director at Olive Crest, um, and I minister and partner with you guys through your aunties and uncles ministry. Um, our strong families ministry at Olive Crest has so appreciated Water's Edge. Um, you guys have been absolutely incredible with opening your home, wrapping around those that do, and we just I just love you guys. It's always so sweet to be here. Um, so uh, day in and day out, I get to see people living out their faith um, as they hope open their homes to kids. Um, I also get to see the faith um, as they take on children they've never met, they experience behaviors maybe they've never interacted with before, um, and all, of course, while they're saying yes to walking with the Lord. And um, really, it's... Uh, it's these host families, it's these friends exhibiting faith to trust that God is who he says he is and that he loves those children more than we could ever imagine. And sometimes as um, they give, give back the kids to situations and experiences that are less than ideal, really it's the faith that leads them to continue to serve. And a faith is a cornerstone of the work that I engage in. And so we're going to be continuing to dive into James this morning as he talks about vibrant faith and what that looks like to the world. So I'm excited about this passage too because um, it's often talked about uh, for a lot of many reasons, but one is is that it, it kind of stirs up some things in people. It's a little bit, um, you know, sometimes it just gets a little crazy. So I'm excited because I'm like, yeah, let's just do this together, right? Um, so before though we dive in, let's pray, right? Because if we're, if we're going to dive in together, we're going to found this all in prayer. So let's go ahead and pray. <sighs> Dear Heavenly Father, we... Um, Gosh, we're just so thankful to be in your house this morning. And God, I'm just so thankful to be here um, with the saints. And um, God, I'm just so excited that we are here to learn more about you this morning. So Lord, would you open up our hearts to receive your word? Would you give us clear minds um, so that we can focus? Uh, Lord, would you give us ears to hear so we can hear your voice better this morning? And God, would you give us... Um, Feet to walk this out, uh, to walk out what it means to live out our faith here in Encinitas and in San Diego so that you may be glorified here on earth and that we would get to be a part of your kingdom come. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to dive in and um, hit some very helpful theology. Um, I know some people love theology, uh, uh, my husband included. Um, people can talk about this stuff for hours. Uh, there's even a group called Theology on Tap that invites people to learn and to drink and sometimes overly pontificate. Uh, but James is concerned with our practical theology, uh, the way our orthodoxy informs our orthopraxy. In other words, how does our faith work? So everyone go ahead and pull out your Bibles or open up your phone, turn to your Bible app, um, and we're going to be in James 2, 14 through 17. So it says this, James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So as we proceed, we have to establish a few theological understandings. I want to make sure that you are assured of the foundation of your faith. So there are multiple syllable words, so don't be afraid. We're going to do this together. Justification and sanctification. And if you don't know what those means, you'll learn shortly, and you can impress those friends that you learned or that you met at theology on tap or went to seminary. Justification. Justification means that we are sinful people in need of a loving, faithful, justice-filled God to forgive us of our sins once and for all. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, justification is one and done. It is God's declaration that a person is now righteous. If you know Christ as Savior, you have been justified bought with the blood of Christ. And we can find that in Romans 3, 23 through 35. A lot of good work in there. But and Martin Luther, who's the founding father of the Reformation, describes justification like this. It is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to God's glory alone, with scripture alone, being the ultimate authority for this truth. He called this the five solas. So again, if you want to impress those new seminary friends, five sola, justification, we've got a few things. Now back to the point, the five solas, or the thought process behind them, is actually the whole reason for the Protestant Reformation. Uh, they were turning away and casting off a church that said they had to be continually justified through priestly confession, sacraments, rituals, and the unnecessary need for continued indulgences, whether you know it or not. We are Protestants because of this understanding of justification. It is our faith in Christ's burial and resurrection that he has justified us. Justification is one and done. Jesus is lasting Savior. Okay, so second large word coming up, again, multisyllable, sanctification. So since we have been justified by Christ, we are now on the path of sanctification, Sanctification includes the changing of the human heart or being, a growing desire to follow the things of God that please him and bring him glory. This is a progressive work of God that to make us look and become more like Christ. Romans 6.20 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For, and for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So sanctification is ongoing. Jesus is our living Lord. So again, justification, sanctification. Justification, one and done. Sanctification, ongoing. Um, another way to understand this is on my wedding day, the pastor announced um, you are now husband and wife, right? So day one, wifey. But the last six years, I've been learning what it means to be a wife, right? To choose Jake over myself, uh, learning what he prefers, how he makes his coffee, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I use a lot of coffee illustrations, but that part is the sanctification in our marriage. When we said yes to each other, Day one, wifey, justification, right? 
Or another way to understand this um, is much like a doctor or a nurse. Any nurses in the room, perhaps? Well, hey, yo, we see you. Um, so when you graduate with your BSN, you are a nurse, right? Uh, justification. But the years of practicing medicine teaches you what bedside manner looks like or the best treatment plan for your patients. So again, justification, one and done, became a nurse. Sanctification, that ongoing practicing out of what it means to be a nurse. Uh, both of these examples do fall a little bit short, right? Because we work to get there, right? Like I batted my eyelashes at Jake so he would like notice me. And um, nurses spend like 500 hours studying to get that diploma. Um, but just to give you some idea, that's kind of where we're going. So justification, one and done, Jesus is Savior. Sanctification, ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. Jesus is Lord. With me? Great. So when we read James talking about faith and works, we can think of it as James talking about justification and sanctification. These two things are every part of a believer's life. There is simply no way of getting around these two things. They are not mutually exclusive. You cannot be justified, meaning you cannot know Christ as Savior without being sanctified and knowing him as Lord. Um, and we know Christ as Savior, at least that's why most of us are here today, uh, because we know and recognize and believe that he has saved us from the bondage of sin and shame, and he set us free. He has saved us. So in love, God has saved you from sin, justification. God has also saved you for a purpose, which is to love, sanctification. So in these verses, James is talking about knowing Christ as Lord, allowing him, inviting him to impact everything you do, every decision you make, being sanctified by his good work. So what does knowing Christ as Lord look like? Uh, it's a working out of our faith. Knowing Christ as Lord first starts by knowing that he loves you with an undeniable, overwhelming, good, good love. And then out of that spirit, reaching out to others. Um, and James, speaking of reaching out to others, James is particularly troubled about reaching out to care for the poor and the widowed and the fatherless. Um, he has mentioned the poor already, um, multiple times by the time we get here in verse 15, there are themes woven of caring for the poor throughout Scripture. And I think, I largely think, they are tough verses for you and I to swallow. Uh, I, I don't know. Never at once after a sermon with a verse like this is the consensus like, yeah, we just, we got to be, be better about caring for the poor. Um, or maybe my group of friends is like just heathens, but uh, typically, if we're honest with ourselves, what's running through our minds is like, okay, but like, how much do we serve? Or like, how much do we care for the poor? How much food do I have to give? Or how much clothing should I be prepared to give out? Any nods? Right? So when is enough work enough? And then let's just take this one step further, right? Because we're in Encinitas. So I think of those of us in this room, maybe we'd rather give money to organizations that feed the poor than feed the poor ourselves, right? 
We can justify, well, those organizations, they know like what's going on, like deep down inside, they address the holistic person, right? So I, I can't address the holistic systems and iniquities, and so I'm just going to give them money so that they can do it. Um, and if you do that as part of your giving practices and caring for your neighbor, praise God. That's, I mean, that is great. But what I'm cautioning us to do is to put space between them and us, right? Again, what I'm cautioning us to do is to put space between the poor and the fatherless and the widow and us. And that's what James is warning against here. In verse 15, it says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? That's like a word from James. You can't say yes to God's free gift of love and not be deeply impacted and changed by his sanctifying work. You can't receive Christ into your heart, soul, and mind and not extend your hand towards someone else's. It's just not possible. So when the physical gap between our lives and the lives of others in need is closing, God is working in us and through us. Indeed, God's work is not finished. It never is on this side of eternity. But in that moment, God's work is more than enough, and so is ours. So as we move towards all others in love, God is working in us, and God's work is enough. And I don't want to assume that all of us in this room is living high on the hog. Listen, my husband and I, we just bought a house, and let's just say things are a little tighter than they've ever been, and um, we're getting used to it. But for those at the times, for those that times are tough for right now in this room, I hate to say it, but this doesn't exclude you either. Because James, this book is written in a time where Christians were suffering persecution and living in poverty. <laughs> Jesus had died and resurrected about 10 to 15 years before James penned this letter, and the things were not looking good for Christians. They were poor, they were hungry, they were not doing well. And James was still speaking to them. Uh, one of the most jarring passages of scripture I have read lately is Matthew 25, 31. And as you guys read Matthew last year, you may recall Jesus' words as he said this, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. So to decode this passage for you, the sheep are the believers, the goats, the unbelievers. Okay. Do you know what makes a sheep a sheep? In verse 35, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Want to know what he says to the goats? Depart from me, accursed ones, 
into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, naked, and you did not clothe me. Sit in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are you a sheep or a goat this morning? Do you have a faith that is dead? Not a faith that's lukewarm, right? Because I'm like, I can get down like a lukewarm faith. That's like kind of okay. But by James's words, a faith that is dead, a lukewarm faith is no faith at all. And that passage in Matthew that I just read is jarring. It's Jesus's own words. Something I cautioned about earlier is putting distance between them and us, right? It's a temptation. It's tempting in my own life. But something that this passage in Matthew highlights, though, is that when we feed the poor, when we clothe those that are unclothed, when we open our home to vulnerable kids, we are recognizing Christ in them. Because Jesus says, when you did something for the least of them, you did it for me. And guys, I don't know how that works. I mean, I just shared about justification and sanctification, but I can't wrap my mind around the fact that if I have a faith that has bones on it and loves my neighbors, I'm doing it for Christ as if he was with me in the room. But what I do know is that each of us, you and I, and you, and you, and you, and you, you all bear the image of God. And I know that I wouldn't deny Christ a glass of water, a hot plate of food, a moment of my time. And that isn't because we all sit in this room and we're here on this Sunday morning. And so we reflect the image of God and those out there don't, they do too. He's asking us to recognize his mark on the lives of everyone and to honor that. And Encinitas, it needs your faith works. It needs you to live out the meaning of your faith. Did you know there's only one bed for every four homeless individuals here in San Diego? Or did you know that one out of every four San Diegans is food insecure, meaning they don't know where their next meal is coming? And that's not just for downtown, right? Because it's easy to be like, well, that's, that's not our problem, that's their problem. No, this is an Encinitas problem. This is an Oceanside problem. This is an Escondido problem. This is a Solana Beach problem. One in four. Don't know where their next meal is coming from. Or did you know, since, you know, Super Bowl was last week, did you know that the five largest NFL stadiums, which I think maybe that's like in Texas. There was a really big one in Arizona. I don't do sports. But the five biggest NFL stadiums can't hold all of the foster children in this country. The book of James... We read this two weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 27 says this, 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure and undefiled religion is to recognize him in the orphans and the widows in their distress and to help them. I think if our religion looked more like that, we wouldn't be having a faith crisis in this country. Call it a post-church nation, call it deconstruction, call it what you will, but if the faith of the West worked like the faith of the ancient Middle East of the early church, the crisis of faith would be less. The church is in crisis because the church is so Christless. Let me reframe that a bit. The church may be in crisis because our lives may appear Christless. Here's a question to discuss. We're going to take a break. You can take a breath. Why do you think the church has experienced decline in the West? Or at least not the same kind of growth as years past here, the Western church. The church over there, booming. Church here, West, not doing great. So why do you think the church has experienced decline in the West? This question is for everyone. You don't have to be justified. One and done? Okay. You don't have to be justified to provide some commentary. So go ahead and take three to four minutes. Turn to somebody you don't know. For the introverts in the room, I believe in you. (laughs) All right, guys, we're going to bring it back. Got 30 seconds to wrap up that thought. Very important thought. wrapping up that very important thought. All right. All right, we're going to bring it back. We're going to find our seats, maybe. I love when I have to break up conversation, you know? Like, it's going so well that we're just going to keep going. That's a good sign. Healthy church, lots of love. (laughs) A mom steps in. (laughs) Andy Kelly, calling Andy Kelly. (laughs) Did you like that? (laughs) Please find your seats. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. We're bringing it back in three, two, one. Nice, guys. That was good. Yeah, I was saying, it's always great when I have to break up conversation. No, it's not just like dead in the room and we're like, well, we really got to try this guy. So it's good. We have friends. It's great. Um, I hope you guys had some great times of conversation. And I hope that can continue maybe at lunch afterwards when you invite a new friend to lunch. Um, but diving back into it, uh, you might know this woman. She's been talked about, you know, she's pretty great. Mother Teresa, ring a bell? Yeah? Um, She is revered, and she's honored, and it's because she took care of the poor, 
right, and the fatherless. I mean, she's Mother Teresa, right? But I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, the guy who was sharing, he used to be a reporter, and he had the opportunity to interview Mother Teresa, which might have been like the interview of his life. And at the end of the interview, she um, looked at him and she said, now, can I ask you a question? And he was like, yeah, Mother Teresa, like what question you got for me? And, uh, and she said, what have you done to help the poor and the fatherless today? And that impacted that reporter's life so much that he went on to start a nonprofit you may recognize called Feed the Hungry. They feed tens of thousands of people a day. And Mother Teresa didn't ask him, what have you done for the poor and fatherless? Because I'm sure that reporter could have thought about that time he helped somebody five years ago or that Thanksgiving meal that he and his family did when they were young. They helped at the soup kitchen, right? But it was one word that made all the difference, and it was today. And I do think Christ is asking us to take up our daily cross and to follow him. And I think it's a fair question to ask, what have you done to care for the poor and fatherless today? And as Christ continues to work on you, continues to sanctify you, continues to align your heart to his, so will your actions. He's not asking us to do these things out of an empty heart. He's expecting this out of a heart that is overflowing with his love. A heart that overflows, flows over others. So heart that overflows, flows over others. The sanctifying work will fill your cup to overflowing. It should have you so near to the heart of God that your only response is to overflow onto others. So no flowing love, no knowing Jesus. So uh, in strong families, ooh, in strong families, the primary focus is caring for children. Uh, it's the number one goal, right? We want to make sure that the child is fed, is safe, is loving, secure. Um, and then there's this secondary goal, and it's to draw mothers out of isolation and into relationship so that they would experience fullness of life and with that Christ's love. And, and that second goal can be really hard for a multitude of reasons, uh, some moms don't want to be in relationship, right? Sometimes the crisis going on in their life is just too much, and they, don't, they just can't think of having another relationship. Um, and sometimes, if I'm honest, there's some host families that they don't want to entertain that thought. Like, it's, that's too much. Like, we're here for the kids, right? Um, and and that's, it's okay. But when there's a host family that is pursuing that secondary goal, and there's a bio mom that is at the place where she can build that relationship, it's incredible. So we have a bio mom right now um, whose kiddos are being hosted, and that mom is living in her car. And um, the host family asked that mom, um, hey, do you want to attend our Tuesday women's Bible study group? And... Um, and the host mom, like, she didn't have to invite her, right? Like, she could have been like, that Tuesday morning's for me and my friends and my church community. And if she comes to my church community, that might be weird and a little messy. And, like, who knows how that's going to go. But, um, but this host family, this host mom, her heart is overflowing with the love of Christ. And so we have a bio mom right now who goes to Tuesday morning Bible study. 
And then she parks her car in the church parking lot, and that's where she lives right now. And it's pretty incredible. Christ is overflowing. Christ's love is overflowing in that host family, and it's flowing over this bio mom. And that space between her, them, and us, her, and bio mom, it's shrinking, right? Um, or I can think of the Faulkners here at Water's Edge. And no, nope, they had no idea I was using them as a sermon illustration. So uh, they've been caring for two little ones on and off for a while now. You may have seen them. They're really cute. One is a tank. Um, and when they first stepped into caring for these two little ones, it was crisis, right? Bio mom was sick, and she needed a place for her kids to go so she could attend to the health crisis in her life. And the Faulkner said yes. Um, but now there's this relationship built. Right? There's this secondary goal, and now the Faulkners are opening their home, even when it's not crisis, right? which is strong families, even when it doesn't quite fit the mold, because they have a cup that is overflowing, and their love is flowing over this bio mom. And the bio's mom, the bio mom's life is radically different because of them, radically different. So let's continue on. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want, us, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James takes this idea of faith one step further and compares those that believe in Christ but do not have any works to demons. I know, guys. I, like, I really wanted this to be like a fun and light, like, rah, like, you know, message, but it's, it's heavy, right? Sheep and goats, demons. I don't know what's happening, but they, those that don't even know Christ as Lord, they even recognize and have the faith in that God is one, holy and set apart. James also might have been thinking of Judas, the disciple that he walked with, saw miracles with, performed miracles with, and then betrayed the Messiah, right? That's a person we can think of. The goats, remember the goats, Matthew 25, they too acknowledge Christ as God. Lord, when did we see you? Yet since their religion was worthless, they are cast with the demons. It's not good, guys. I'm, I'm tempted to think of the spiritual folks today that find themselves down the street at the Self-Realization Fellowship Center. And, you know, they center their belief on God, but then they add another. Uh, and we in Encinitas, we are surrounded by folks like this, right, who are spiritual and believe in God, but don't behave as if he is Lord. I had a conversation with someone not too long ago who self-described as a Christian, and I was like, awesome. You know when you meet someone that's a Christian, you're like, yes, we're in the same family. Like, where do you belong? Like, where do you go to church? And, um, and she said the self-realization fellowship and that the, t the traditional way of religion was not meant for her or her family. And she mentioned how Buddhism and Christianity was a better fit for her and my heart broke because we are here today worshiping a God in spirit and truth down the street from that self-realization fellowship. And we are at a church whose faith 
is being worked out in caring for vulnerable children by wrapping its arms around one another, a church that knows Christ as Lord and Savior, and she has been wooed by a faith that only shudders at the thought of God, but it doesn't move them to action. So let's keep going. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James is making a point here. He could have used so many different examples of faith being justified by works, but he used Abraham, who had been asked by God to sacrifice his son to reveal whether his faith was genuine. Abraham was also the Jews' father, faith father and someone that they could not deny or poke holes in. He was justified by his faith that expressed itself through its work. Uh, James goes on and says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Uh, I love that James uses a faith father and a foreign prostitute when he talks about faith. Uh, What I think James is trying to do here is show that no matter who you are, whether you're a saint or you're an outcast, you are bought with the blood of Christ and have equal worth, value, and treasure in the eyes of our king. And two, every saint's act of obedience matters in the eyes and in the sight of our God. I'm sure you've heard the saying, at the foot of the cross, we're all on equal ground. One of my favorites. Um, It would have been easy to read about Abraham and panic that you had to sacrifice your son, right? Like, that's what I have to do to show my faith? Um, Or maybe give away your... No, but... Yes. Didn't have to, yes. Yes, ready to. Maybe that's what I should say. Ready to sacrifice your son. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Or maybe um, we could panic that we have to give away our riches. But I think that one's biblical. Okay, wait. Uh, Or leave our life to follow him. That one's biblical too. Okay. Well... Or thinking you have to sacrifice your son. Thinking you have to sacrifice your son. Please don't. That's like not a prophetic text for your life, right? But what I'm trying to say is that you do not have to do grandiose things or grandiose works to justify your faith. Not all of us in here are at the faith father level, right? But we are all called to live out the faith in our lives. In verse 25, it says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The best part, that in between justification and sanctification, is the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit who is helping us flow over others. John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. We are not working out our faith by ourselves. We have a helper, and this helper steps in when we're at our wit's end, 
When we think we have nothing left to give and an opportunity opens up and you, like, you feel that Holy Spirit nudge. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Like when that thought comes to your mind and if you're honest with yourself, there's like no possible way it would have gotten there on your own, right? Or like if you're in Vons and you see somebody crying in front of the frozen dinners and you're like, I think I should talk to them. And you're like, I've never thought that before, right? That Holy Spirit nudge. Or the Holy Spirit nudge when you're about to pray for your meal at a restaurant and you feel something moving in you when you're looking at the waitress and you're like, I feel like I should ask you how I can pray because we pray before every meal. Maybe I could ask you, but like that would be weird, right? That Holy Spirit nudge. As the Holy Spirit works in us, the Holy Spirit will work through us. Again, God's work is enough. And the Holy Spirit is joining you on the work of acting out your faith and wants to be doing it with you. Today's message is not. And for all the perfectionists or the Enneagram ones like myself, I need you to lean in here. Today's message is not how you need to be a better Christian, right? And like, if you follow these three easy steps, I'm gonna like work out my faith and be better. I know that's where our heart leans, but this is not that message. What today's message is about is how you can join the Holy Spirit in the work that he wants to accomplish through you. And, and doesn't that kind of take off that pressure? Yes, you have to be obedient and you have to follow him, but it's because of your nearness to the Lord that makes you move into action. Rahab, when she was talking to the spies in her um, home, uh, said this in Joshua 2.9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kinds of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any land any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab had faith because she knew about the Lord. She knew how he tended to things. She knew that the Lord had gone before the spies to give them favor. She knew. And in the same way, we need to know that the Lord is in us. That justification is working in us. That sanctification and he wants to work through us as we demonstrate our faith. But we've got to take a realistic view of our life right now and ask, does the life I live demonstrate the faith I profess? That's the first way to lean in. Ask, the God, ask God, the Holy Spirit, this question. Lord, does my life truly demonstrate the faith I profess? So we're going to actually take a minute right now to pray by ourselves and to lean in. We're going to take two minutes to pray. Holy Spirit, help us. May you lead us in your love. Amen. Uh, so like I shared, I'm the programs director of the organization that I work for here in San Diego. Um, and you guys have been wonderful partners, and that has been incredible. And um, all of Crest, half the staff, were actually host families. Um, and that has been incredible to watch. It's happened over this last year. We have foster case managers that are host families. We have our host family staff, our host families. Um, and one of the things I do for one of my colleagues is that anytime she hosts, um, 
she, I send her a little something something on Venmo, just a little something something, just to be like, hey, I see you. You're probably gonna buy something that for these kids. Here's a little something, right? And um, as I shared earlier, my husband and I, we just bought a house and things are a little tighter, right? And um, I hate to share this, but the first time she hosted after we bought this house, I was like, I don't think she needs it. You know, I don't like, it's just, she's fine. Like she's okay, she's doing great, right? Cause that little something something felt a whole lot more like a big something something to my husband and I, right? And I'll just never forget, I was like laying in bed staring at the ceiling and I was like, well, like she, I know there's this and her fiance does that and like, I don't think that, how much does this actually help, you know? And guys, I'm the programs director. Like I should not be having these thoughts about like, should I still help, right? And like, yes, have a budget and like work within that budget and like, you know, Dave Ramsey, all of that. That's all good and good, but it was hard for me. And like, it is hard for me. And I, I'm trying to live out the giving liturgy that I pray every Sunday that says, God, would you trust me with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches? And I might argue that God is more pleased now when I give that little something something than he was when it was easy. It's the same gift, but a different perspective, and that's the working out of the sanctification. And it's important to note that we are all being sanctified differently. Where I'm at in my sanctification is going to be different than where Andy's at and where Courtney's at, where Laura's at. It's, it's different. But what is true is this. We are being sanctified in simple obedience steps. And, and maybe you're new to following Jesus, and you're still working on that whole bridling your tongue thing and not lashing out on others like James talked about in the last chapter, or maybe you're working on simply giving to this church because that still feels like kind of uncomfortable because like church and money, right? Or maybe you're on the aunties and uncles email list and you get that email every time somebody hosts and you're like, you know what, I'm sure someone's gonna help with that need, it doesn't have to be me, right? But this week, this week could be different. This week could be the week that you step into that hosting need. Or maybe you see, yeah, they need jammies. I can't do jammies, but I can do this with my time, right? Or for those of you who have walked with Jesus for a long time, maybe God has spoken to you in a pretty significant way. And it's time for you to work out your faith by following his voice. And maybe it's time for you to discover what radical generosity looks like because Christ has bid you to come and die. Have you ever thought of what your sacrificial ram might be? Could it look like going through your budget and meeting dollar for dollar what you spend on yourself to what you give to charity? Or maybe God has been nudging you in your heart to give up not one, but two rooms in your home to care for children who are experiencing foster care so you can keep sibling sets together. Jesus is Lord. And for those of you who are in the middle, can't relate to the foreign prostitute, can't relate to the faith father. What if the working out of your faith looked like being present at home and meeting the needs of your spouse, who, if you were honest with yourself, has felt more cumbersome lately? Or maybe it looks like packing a care bag for that gentleman that you see on the median divide that says, will work, or will, um, 
work for money, but you're like, I'm pretty sure he's not gonna work, right? Like that conversation you have in your heart, maybe it's time for you to pack a care bag for him and give it to him next time you saw him on your way to work. Jesus is Lord. There's not one way to work out your faith. And Jesus has given us plenty of examples. James has given us some examples. And now it's time to let your faith reveal itself through the works that you do. Jesus is Lord and Savior. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we want to be a sheep. And I'm just reminded of the simpleness of sheep. And God, I am sorry when I make things overly complicated to following you. So Lord, would you help us this week as we look at what it means to work out your faith, work out our faith, God, and what that means to honor and glorify you. God, would you help us? We ask that your Holy Spirit would nudge us this week, Lord, but also today, so that we might be motivated to care for the poor and the fatherless and the widow in our city and in our neighborhood. So, God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, there's some next steps. And uh, take your next obedient steps, number one. Number two, share your next obedient step and ask for accountability. Right? There's people in here that you want to, like, ask for that accountability with. And three, uh, be on mission. Uh, join us for an upcoming trip. 219, become an auntie or uncle. That's today. That's, is today in the 19th? Yeah, I'm just saying today you can become Today you can become an auntie or uncle. <laughs> Guys, it's been a month. But if you want to, come talk to me. I'd love to, or talk to the Faulkners or the Romeros. You know, go talk to them. They're so much better than I. Or uh, visit the Door of Faith or Fitch. We're exploring that opportunity. And then maybe build a trip in May. Yeah? And then uh, invite some first to sixth grade kids who could use some Jesus' love for uh, vacation Bible school. Basketball camp. Basketball camp? Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> there's a step for you here, guys. And there's a step for you today, and there's a step for you this week, and there's a step for you this month. So I'm excited to come back and visit you guys in a couple months and like hear about what you're doing. Cool?